This is Mental Reality with Dr. Beach, and today we're here with a very special guest, Douglas Hall, who is a businessman, glass blower, and travel aficionado. And today we're going to talk a little bit about positive psychology, uh, which is something that's gotten a lot of traction these days and is, is quite unique in that unlike a lot of what we do in mental health, we tend to focus on you know, once someone has a problem or a disease or something negative is going on that we want to make positive, that's often how we think of mental health. But positive psychology is a little different in that it focuses on what we aspire to and how we can harness our potential and our attributes. And it understands that we can have our limitations, but if we can, you know, focus on our strengths then we can catapult those um, to be very happy together. And so, Douglas, so nice to have you on the program. Dr. Beach, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Great. So, you know, one of the reasons I thought positive psychology would be a great topic for you and I is that I understand you're, you're doing your dissertation on that topic. That is, that is correct. So I'm working on my PhD right now in organizational leadership, and the dissertation is focusing on psychological capital as one of my constructs. So I've definitely taken a deep dive into the topic quite a bit over the past couple of years. You know, I think a lot of people would say, well, that's nice. That, that's for people who don't have like real problems, right? Positive psychology. But how has positive psychology helped you? Well, for me, it's, uh, I'll start with a little bit of background. I, I grew up in the Midwest. I'm a gay man that grew up in a relatively conservative part of the Midwest. I, um, my father was a Jehovah's Witness elder, um, and my mother, when I was younger, was a breast cancer survivor. She's since passed away from, from cancer. Um, I've also struggled with a couple, couple different issues, but um, I, there was childhood abuse, um, some sexual abuse, physical abuse, some emotional abuse, and those are things that just kind of set the stage. We're, we're all really given a different, I don't know, hand of cards in life, and this is the deck that I've been given. But to answer your question, positive psychology has been a great tool for me at really helping handle and putting perspective in life. So when you say, you know, you could take 10 people who've had like difficult backgrounds and, you know, there may be two or three who, you know, basically can't rise above that. There's like, you know, three or four who may struggle, but eventually find their footing. And then there's like two or three that, you know, will be able to rise above it and, you know, become stronger from it. You know, do you think positive psychology, you know, is helpful in that way? Absolutely. For, for me personally, it's, it's something I've been practicing much longer than I've understood that I've been practicing it. So it's having an optimistic view on life. It's really putting things into perspective. It's focusing on those positive aspects of your life and really reinforcing those. So I think that it's a, something that can be applied no matter what the different circumstances in your life are, no matter what you've had from uh, upbringing, your background, your current situation. It's a, a really interesting way of kind of focusing on you and, and building some positivity in your life. So let's, let's just go a little bit deeper there. Cause you said is rural, gay, uh, religious. Yeah. So how did you, and abused. So how do you actually do that? I mean, now it's, it's, you know, it's easy to say you're on kind of somewhat on the other side of it, but when you're in it, how do you actually do that? 
Well, so going back, um, it was it was an interesting religion growing up. It's very isolationist. Um, I felt very alone as a young person. There's a lot of of unique quirks to being a Jehovah's Witness. They don't celebrate birthdays. There's no Christmas or holidays, no voting. There's a lot of really interesting quirks. And it's a very tight-knit community. It's almost very isolationist where it's us versus the world. So I, I felt alone. Um, and you add on top of that the abuse, there wasn't really anybody that I could talk to. There wasn't anybody really that I could look to. So for me, it was trying to find the positive aspects. And again, a lot of these things that I struggled with until, until I had some specialists help me understand that this is the situation. Here are some things that you can do to overcome it. So, I mean, obviously you left town, but you know, when you're in that situation, so how does that, how does that impact, right? You said you're isolated, you know, you're a minority and then there you are. How does that impact things like your relationships? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So I, I didn't have a whole lot of relationships. There was very limited access to people outside of my church and it was a relatively small church and we were expected to, to remain isolated. But what that did was that created a tight-knit community, but it wasn't necessarily a community that I wanted to be a part of. And I remember from a very early age really struggling with depression. I mean, as early as, as 12 years old, because it was, this is, I recognized that this is not what I wanted for my life that early, but it, I really didn't know what to do about it. So the only thing was for me to go into a, a relatively deep depression until I could figure a way out of that. One of the tenets of po positive psychology is learning to accept and make peace with the past. You know, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, that's a, a very easy thing to say. Um, <laughs> and there's definitely, I mean, I mean, I still struggle with some of these things. So, you know, the sexual abuse still shows up in a lot of my, my romantic relationships. The isolationist view in being a preacher's son still shows up in a lot of what I do. So as an example, you know, being a preacher's son, I learned very quickly that you have to do things a certain way. You're set up on a pedestal and you have to do things the way that are expected of you. So you visibly show what it is that you, you're expected to do, and then you just do whatever you want behind the scenes. What that creates is a huge amount of hypocrisy, a huge amount of guilt, but that's uh, one of the coping mechanisms that I had. One of the other areas that this shows up is it taught me right or wrong, that there are a lot of expectations. So I'm even today, I still struggle with validation or, or feeling worthy. So there's some interesting dynamics that, that even materialize in my work in school today. Are you able to recognize those dynamics? Like when you kind of feel like that's, oh, there's that dynamic going, are you able to like catch yourself? Yes, for the most part I am. And it's a question of whether I how I reframe this is really what's important to me. So a good example is going to get a PhD. Um, I had never studied psychology before. I had never studied anything in, in mental health before, but I thought it'd be a great idea to go to the Chicago School of uh, you know, Professional Psychology and, and get a PhD in organizational leadership. So very psychology-based. But you know, as I asked myself the question why I did this, one, the credentialing of being a doctor. Oh, you're a doctor. That's That's fantastic or you're, you're a PhD student, it, it definitely, it definitely, I get the validation that I'm constantly seeking. But as I've turned that around, what it does for me personally is it tickles my brain in a way that, that nothing else does. Thinking about things, the writing and reading. So it's, it's all in how you frame things. And so you like to keep busy then? I like to keep very busy. Yeah. I've got a full-time job as a marketing director. 
and then um, school, and then I definitely enjoy my hobbies. So glass blowing, and, and um, I do quite a bit of artwork with glasses. And then there's my travels. So what uh, what does travel do for you? Speaking yeah, of travel. So for some background, I, I think there's three areas where travel really, really helps complete me. So I've been in 97 countries, all 50 states and six continents. Um, I have that memorized and I have that rehearsed. So that then, <laughs> then goes back to the, you know, the validation seeking behaviors. But what it also And does, you'll find a man someday, you know? <laughs> and I'll find him. Yeah, just keep traveling. <laughs> I'll just keep searching. Um, <laughs> Uh, so there's there's one thing you know being able to rehearse that it it definitely fulfills that that external validation which again is something that I will always struggle with people oh 97 countries but for me it's also this area of it, it's goal orientation so you know what what is it that makes me wake up in the morning and continue with life one of those things is travel like I've got the next couple of trips already planned out and it makes me happy thinking about okay I have to go and research these areas and who's going to come on this trip and, and what are we going to do? So there's these positive emotions I get from looking forward and, and thinking about traveling. And then the other area is um, gratitude. Some of the countries that I've been to, one, they're, they're all fantastic. I, I found that people are people no matter where you go, but you know, you see people that are less fortunate than you and, and it really puts into perspective, wow, life, life could be a lot worse. It could be a whole lot worse. So you know, and people will say, you know, those are first world problems, right? You hear that term. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm fully aware that, you know, as a, a tall white male living in the United States, there's a huge amount of privilege that I have um, just being me. Um, but again, travel really reinforces that, right? I could have been born in, in a very poor community in Guatemala struggling to have clean drinking water every day. Instead, I'm focusing on some of these other much less significant problems, still my problems, but much less significant compared to life-sustaining activities. So let, let's just go back a bit. You said, um, how, how has being sexually abused impacted you? You said it impacted you and yeah. it, it's affected your relationships. Like, tell me a yeah. little more detailed how that's impacted you. Yeah, so being sexually abused at a young age, I. I think, and I don't know a lot of the, the theories or science behind this, but for me personally, you know, it introduces you to sexual activity at an early age. Um, there's a bit of trauma where, you know, it's, it's bad at that age that has carried over into this. On top of that, being a gay male and growing up in a, a conservative household, being gay is bad, right? Like I, I really struggled with reconciling all these horrible things that I learned about gay people, yet I'm a gay person and I'm not a horrible person. So the combination of those things of feeling almost bad or regretful about being a gay man and being in a relationship and then the trauma on top of that, anytime I get into a relationship, I have to explain this. Like, you know, these, these things take time with me. Um, so it, it's something that I, I will probably always have to deal with, but it's, it's that conflicting values and conflicting emotions. I mean, you'll meet some people who have been sexually abused and their response to that will be, you know, being a bit promiscuous because that's kind of how they feel. They, that's how they've learned to relate to people. And then yeah. you'll meet other people where they're more inhibited sexually. And you'll even hear, you'll hear people who it's like, I prefer being overweight because then I'm, then I'm not viewed as sexually attractive. It's not uncommon that you'll meet someone who's been sexually abused who will be like, I prefer to, you know, have some weight on me then I'm not viewed as like sexually attractive. Right. And for me, it's, it's almost the complete opposite because 
I would, I would rather not be in a relationship or not have, you know, sex or sexual activity because it, it just raises a lot of very complex, uh, I don't know, emotion, negative emotional feelings for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I tend to lean towards the other way, which is I'm just staying away from it altogether, which, which is also not a very healthy attitude, but it's, um, it's one way that I, I cope. And so, you know, as you, as you grow older is, uh, is being single something that you, you know, you think you'll might be single for a lot of your life. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. I, I remember being 18 years old and, and going to, you know, when I started at Miami University, it was the gay group there, you know, after the first call it our, our gay group meeting, everybody kind of coupled off and then you wouldn't see anybody else until the beginning of next semester when they had broken up and they're looking for a new boyfriend. And I <laughs> always wondered why, you know, why am I not coupling up? Why, you know, but I mean, truth be told, I'm, I'm weird, I'm complex, uh, I'm a lot to handle and, and that's okay. I, I like that about me, but it doesn't make for a very um, effective relationship. So in order to find somebody that can put up with me, it's going to take a unique person. <laughs> right. So when, you, when you've had relationships, how, how do they go? What are the challenges? What are the, yeah. you know, the um, upsides and the challenges? So I, I was in a relationship up until about January, and, and there's definitely challenges from uh, an identity standpoint. You know trying to please the other person or losing my identity and their identity, um, trying to mimic their personality or mimic some of their behaviors is, is something that I, I definitely struggle with in almost all of my relationships. And I believe a lot of that goes back to, again, trying to people please or trying to get that validation and people like people like them. So mm -hmm. that's something that I've definitely struggled with. Um, the other challenges are definitely the sexual component, right? For me, it, it is always a little awkward. It is always a little weird. So it forces a conversation, I think, earlier in a relationship than what most people have to. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, it takes me a while to get close to somebody, um, physically, emotionally, sexually. And, and a lot of folks, you know, sex is one of the first things that attracts somebody to somebody. So when that isn't there right away with me, you know, a, a partner questions, well, well, and buying your dinner, right? There's, there's that too. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a component of that. But I think it's more, <laughs> there's, I think it's more. Uh, I thought they emotional. went together, right? You buy my dinner, <laughs> you know? I mean, sometimes they do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think, you know, you think about the, what the other person is going through. Is this person not attracted to me? Why, why is this person not responding in the way that I've had with previous relationships? So, so it's, it's not just what I'm feeling, it's what the other individual is feeling as well. And, and again, that requires a conversation. As much as I would just prefer to avoid the subject altogether, it, it warrants a conversation. Like, do you have rules in your mind? Like if you date someone on the first night, like you won't put out, like that's just not something you do because you no, have a rule? I wouldn't say there's a lot of rules there, but, but I will physically, I mean, not like there's, there's so many barriers or there's so many blocks that are put up because of, of the earlier trauma, you know, I just, I physically will not get close to somebody. So, you know, if, if it feels right or it, you know, the situation is right, sometimes it is, but for the most part, there's a lot of these psychological blocks that say, don't trust this individual. Sex is bad. Um, there's just a lot of these negative things that I still have hmm. to struggle with and I'm, I'm challenged with.
it's hard to like go with the flow and be like, you know, just be in the moment and be like, I, this, I want to do it. I'm going to do it. I am not a go with the flow. That's it. My head is, you know, working overtime when I'm going out on that first or second date. So Doug, uh, life's not easy. And, you know, we don't always have things handed to us on a silver platter. So when things were, you know, the hardest and you're at your most low, you know, what was that like? Yeah, I can share an example that was a very challenging time in my life, which was about four years ago. Um, I had just left the company that I was working for, and uh, I, was, I had been there for 13 years, great career. There was a, a lot of money coming my way. I had a, a lot of people in my life. It was, it was good, but I ended up walking away from that because of a boss that I didn't get along with, um, and it really sent me into a tailspin. So. I was living in Chicago at the time and I was living on the 32nd floor and I thought, I, I just don't have much purpose or, or meaning in life. Like, what's the point of carrying on? I was, felt very alone. I was extremely depressed. And, um, you know, there were, there were a couple of different things that ran through my head. I was like, I could just very easily just jump off the 32nd floor. That's a, a sure way of ending things. Um, and, and again, there was, a, I wasn't very certain about what the future held. I had had such cool, interesting jobs in the past and everything was kind of, I don't know, up until that point was very much handed to me. So it was one time where I just was really at wit's end. And is that because you'd put so much of kind of your identity into your work? Absolutely. I, I, I put all of my identity into my work and in, in exchange, I was rewarded with promotions. It, it was a, almost a self-fulfilling um, self-fulfilling cycle. So, you know, I was working nonstop. I was traveling nonstop. Uh, and then in exchange, I would get big raises. I would get promotions. Um, you know, the company would relocate me to new and interesting cities and new and interesting roles. But it, it forced me to, to think a little bit about, is this what I want? Right. And it's not, it's not uncommon. You'll hear it like people, you know, to thwart off anxiety, if you will, it's not uncommon that people will keep busy, right? If you keep busy and you have a list and you're busy and you're always doing something, you don't really, you know, you don't have to turn your mind to, you know, more broader questions like, am I really happy? What's the point of what I'm doing? You know, those broader questions that, you know, the deeper, more reflective questions. Absolutely. And that, that's, I, I could keep very busy with work, right? The nature of working for a big company is there's always more work that can be done, always. And I mean, I was working 60, 70 hours a week, sometimes 80 hours a week just to get work done. And we're talking about, you know, something when I look back, it's who, who cares? Why were you working this hard? But it, one, forced me not to think about things. I didn't really have to think about it because I had something that was working. And then when I came away from that, it was, wow, all of this validation that I was getting by way of, you know, people praise and, and money and you know the cool apartments it was it was gone it was gone overnight so that's what started a lot of this downward spiral for me which was very difficult to get out of and i mean a lot of people will keep busy in work because it's you know it keeps you busy so you don't have to you know work gives you a lot of tangible validation you get your paycheck you get your stocks and your bonds and you get your 401k yep. so it's kind of like it's if you do a if you work hard, then you're going to get a certain validation. It's a little bit more known. A relationship, by contrast, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. You can put a lot in, but you, you know, things may, you may not be rolling high. 
That's yeah. very true. Okay, so in terms of positive psychology, I mean, one of the, you know, there's many aspects to it, but one of the areas is like trying to look at life with optimism and not focusing, you know, kind of on, you know, pessimism, you know, glass half full, if you will. Is that something you work on? You know, do you feel like that's something you have to train yourself to do or that just comes naturally to you? Uh, no, I, I definitely have to train myself on it. And I will find myself looking at a situation and saying, you can either look at this as a negative or you can try and find the positive side. And then what is it you can do to turn this into a positive? So I've really had to focus on the training and development of that side of optimism in order to maintain that. And then once you start to train yourself on it, you can constantly look at things in a couple of different lights. And that really helps put things into perspective. And, you know, one thing, you know, as you get older is trying to, you know, have gratitude and, and kind of forgive those things in your past that, you know, were wrong or were difficult or what do you think about forgiveness? Yeah, I, I don't know if forgiveness is the right word for me more than being able to process and understand the situation. So as an example, you know, being my father being a Jehovah's Witness elder and me being a gay man are completely conflicting, right? And, and I did not get necessarily the support that I needed when I came out and, and completely just shut off the family for, for almost a decade. And looking back, I think, you know, my father did the best that he could. I think most parents genuinely want to do the best that they can. I may not have gotten what I needed or may not have gotten what would have been very like an optimal situation for me, but I mean, they did the best that they could. So shift the blame off of them and now figure out what I can do to create the optimal situation for me. So that's like, you know, forgiveness is trying to, you know, come at it from their perspective, right? And absolutely understand, you know, they're, you know, if you can take that lens and be like, they did the best they can. That doesn't mean they met your needs. It doesn't mean that you didn't wish it was different. Absolutely. You know, I also think a lot about the current political environment and see, you know, folks will say, oh, I hate this politician or this policy is, is awful and it's ruining America. And then another group will say the complete opposite. And, and to me, that's a lot of being empathetic. And instead of having a vocal opinion, I definitely have my political views and beliefs, but understanding why would somebody you know think that this is the best thing in the world why would somebody absolutely hate this when you can kind of put yourselves in their shoes it it, it again it puts things in a perspective you can understand what other people are thinking again that may or may not influence your decision but at least you understand where folks are coming from now and that they're not awful horrible people and how is how is growing up gay you know isolated marginalized you know made you stronger do you think it's made you a better person i think it has forced me to make my own life. Uh, and what I mean by that is a lot of folks are fortunate enough to be able to go through life with, you know, the values and beliefs that they grew up with and, and never really be challenged. Fortunate or not, I think that's a, a, almost a, a blessing in disguise for a lot of people. Being gay and realizing that I was gay and having such strong religious convictions growing up, especially with homosexuality being wrong, forced those values to come together and made me think about it, right? Like, is this wrong or is this right? And as you kind of open that Pandora's box, you really assess a lot of different things. Well, is this wrong? Is this right? Um, so it forced me to push myself, experience things. Um, the travel was a big part of that. Education was a big part of that. So good or bad, I don't know. Right or wrong, I don't know. But I can say that it forced me to be my own person. 
know, a lot of things about being popular is kind of like fitting in and fitting in is kind of like, you know, people like you and, you know, what do people like? Well, they like, you know, they like what they know and what they see. And, you know, that's more, it's not original, right? Yeah. You're like, when you're your authentic self, you know, and you show your foibles and your idiosyncrasies, you know, there's a risk in that, right? Absolutely. People well, I got really like good. <laughs> I got really good at playing the "you're gonna like me" game. I mean, I when I lived in Los Angeles, I, I was in West Hollywood, and I got swept up in the, you know, good looking and working out every day. And you go to this club, and you go to this restaurant, and you know, you have these group of people around you. And and um, you know, at the end of the day, there's there's some things that I was doing with that, which was kind of testing out different personalities or testing out different lifestyles to figure out what I liked or didn't like, but it's really easy to get swept into this is what you have to do because this group says you have to. So, right. Well, and you never told our listeners that's where we met. Where? <laughs> what West Hollywood. No, I'm oh. joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of our listeners, so, you know, we all have our trauma to varying degrees, right? Right. You know, what would be your recommendations or advice for, you know, when you have your trauma and you, you know, you're your awkward little self, what do you recommend? How do you navigate that to kind of, you know, be yourself and, you know, be successful and, you know, grow in life? I can tell you the things for me that were extremely helpful were one, seek some professional help. Um, a, a psychologist can really help you process some of those traumas. The, the second thing I would recommend is start to develop some of the skills that you need to deal with that trauma. And there's, there's a variety of different things that people can focus on, but start to develop those skills. So again, uh, psychologists can help you manage through a lot of the trauma um, and also give you some things to think about. So gratitude is a great one. Um, I think uh, putting things into perspective or, or being mindful and then trying to focus on having that positive outlook or that optimism is, is another great area to do that. Great. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to say regarding positive psychology? I know you're doing your dissertation in it. We yep. covered some of the highlights. Yeah, um, there's definitely a lot of benefits that come. So, so speaking from an academic standpoint, there's been a whole bunch of studies into positive psychology, but um, most of them have very, very, very positive outcomes. So if you're interested at all, um, start to dig into it a little bit. Um, there's a whole bunch of different websites you can go to, a lot of different folks you can talk to about it. No, and totally. It's not like a reductionistic kind of negative disease oriented, right? It's like trying to focus on your strengths and your aspirations and, you know, building on your capacities. Yeah, I think it's a very real way of looking at yourself and at life. Yeah, because we can't, you know, it's, it, you can work on problems, but you can't always eliminate them, right? And it's people, it's not easy to change people. That's right. Okay, well, Doug, it's been great speaking with you. And I mean, hopefully we'll be able to speak sometime soon. And I wish you all the best on your dissertation. Thanks, Dr. Beach. Great having you on the show today. And you're listening to Mental Reality with Dr. Beach. Thank you. (laughs) 